M&K Talk YA now presents Six of Crows Part 2 from the Six of Crows series by Lee Bardugo. Welcome back to M&K Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is... And this is... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's your turn. <laughs> and this is our podcast where we talk about young adult fiction. And this week we are finishing up Six of Crows by Lee Bardugo. It was the first book in the Six of Crows duology. I had so much trouble introducing that. Last week, when I was saying Six of Crows of the Six of Crows, do you all, like, for some reason, like, that was too many sixes and crows in a row for me earlier. Like, no, and I kept wanting to say the Six of Crows, and then I had to look at the book and be like, oh, wait, nope, it's just Six of Crows. <laughs> We're going to get the names right eventually. Yeah, only there's only two books this time, so I don't know if I'll ever get all the names right. I really like the idea of duologies, I have to say. I do too. I also love multiple series based in the same world that aren't all connected. I mean, that aren't like, you know, in sequence necessarily. Right. Like new characters, but same world. Yeah. Because it's so easy and familiar to jump into this world, but it's like such a different group of people, different part of the world, different, like so many things are also very different. It's like, it's fresh, but still familiar. Yeah. And we get to read the Nikolai books next winter. (laughs) Are you going to wait for those to all come out? Because I know that's your rule and I... Wait, is there a whole series? I thought it was a a standalone. No, it's a whole series. Okay, I I just got so excited I stopped reading the article, I guess. They had a book um, preview, which I don't always watch those because I, like, don't like to have things spoil my imagination for how a book is supposed to be, but it was just, like some scenes and some smoky symbols and like talking about Nikolai and all the different identities he's had from like pirate to prince to demon to whatever or whatever. To bird. (laughs) Birdman. I think it's called the Prince of Scars or the King of Scars. The King of Scars. Yes, that sounds right. Yes. Oh, so how many are there supposed to be? We have so much to look forward to. I don't know. We have that coming out and then... I mean, Pierce Brown has the, the new Red Rising trilogy coming out, which is set in the same world. And then... Is Warcross a standalone, or is that part of a series, too? It's a duology, because duologies are trending. And okay. yeah, Warcross, the first one just came out, and the second one's coming out next year. Um, and that's just oh, a man. standalone. New world, new everything. But I think okay. part of it takes place a little bit in the world of legend, because there's like... It feels like there's some crossover. Okay, cool, cool. Oh, we have just so many books to read. And did you read The Language of Thorns, which was Lee Bardugo's latest release? I haven't read it yet. Did you already read it? I read parts of it. Okay. I read Some of them are the short stories we've already read, right? And then there's some new ones? Okay. So I read some of the new ones, um, and I wanted to read The Little little Knife, because that was the one we couldn't find last (laughs) time. Did I tell you I found like an audiobook version of it? Yeah. And it like stopped after two minutes. I was like, well, now I'm hooked, but I don't know where to get the rest of it. Oh my gosh. It's just, there's there's so many great things happening with YA right now. And I feel like 
it's just really exciting to be part of all these books coming out. It's really exciting to still consider ourselves young adults. <laughs> that too. <laughs> Youngish adults. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, so should we delve into the rest of Six of Crows? Yeah. Okay, so first of all, I was worried because it's a duology that they were like, gonna get trapped in the like they weren't gonna complete this mission and it would be you know like something went wrong at the end and then they still have to finish the same mission so I like that it was sort of like this piece of the puzzle is wrapped up but obviously the stage is set for more action uh, scheming and action yes yes and I um I agree with you and I'm also I'm not super surprised that they were able to complete the mission successfully but I also like that there were some unexpected twists that like not even Kaz was able to foresee and there were some really negative consequences that came of it. Yeah. Do you think if Kaz's phobia wasn't acting up, he would have been like, do you think that's hurt his ability to like predict and process everything that was going on? Or do you think it just was impossible to do? I don't think that had as much of an impact as just the sheer unforeseeability of some of the circumstances that happened. Yeah. Um, I think he had a couple very close calls, uh, like when he deviates from the plan to go and find Pekka Rollins in the cells and he doesn't tell anyone what he's doing and people are really confused by that. So I think his desire for revenge and his pride almost trips up the mission several times, but I don't think necessarily his phobia does too much. Yeah. That's I fair. mean, well, that's not true because when they're in the wagon, he faints and that was definitely yeah. scary. And then he kind of panicked in the water again too. And there was, I think there was one other time when it like, he like had trouble kind of snapping out of it, but he ultimately did snap out yeah. of it. My gosh. So I looked up that phobia because I was curious oh, okay. to know if that was a real phobia. I figured it was. And it is. It's called um, haphophobia. Okay. And it's a specific phobia that involves the fear of touching or being touched. And um, some people describe it as like an exaggerated feeling of... You know how when... <laughs> I don't know if you know people like this, but I know people who just stand a little bit too close to you and they kind of invade your personal space. <laughs> yep. And there's like... There's like a discomfort to that. Like you're too, you're ju- you're just too close. Yeah. And so some people say it's like an extension of that where your your boundaries feel a little bit threatened or invaded. And then others say it stems from like a fear of contamination. And I guess this is sad, but it's sometimes linked to people who have experienced some form of sexual trauma because it's like skin to skin contact. Um, it triggers a like really visceral panic reaction. That makes sense. And so they said like the symptoms are um, heart palpitations, dizziness, panic, numbness, a feeling of being trapped, um, uncontrollable trembling, and hyperventilating, which is like exactly what happens to Kaz when they're in the yeah. uh, wagon. And his experience was traumatizing. I mean, in a different way, obviously, oh but. Can you imagine waking up and being surrounded by just dead bodies everywhere and one of them being your brother who's your, your only brother. family and friend in this new town? And then the description of him using his dead brother's bloated body as a raft yeah. to swim to shore and like him almost drowning and his hand is just clutching onto this. 
it was it was really really traumatic and i kept wondering what his phobia stemmed from because he had such a strong reaction and and it, it the effects of the trauma are so long lasting but i did not anticipate that yeah it was worse than i thought it would be. it was worse than i thought it would be too although his leg was not as bad as i thought it would be yeah i'm kind of disappointed there wasn't a more spectacular story to that I kind of like that there wasn't, though, a little bit, because it kind of, like, especially because the the gloves thing ended up being such a, like, even bigger thing than we realized. Like, he wasn't hiding Mm -hmm. a deformity. He was trying to, like, kind of put up a barrier with other people because of this terrible thing that happened to him when he was young. And then the leg thing, I felt like, was even more, like, people were kind of, you know, like, I thought there would be such a big story, and I kind of liked that it was just, like, nope, it's just kind of part of being in a gang and rough and tumble and, like... A, a job that went a little bit wrong and it didn't heal right you know like yeah well it's also like another consequence of his his desire for revenge mm-hmm. and it's almost like he cannot stop until he gets all the revenge because the the bank that he was robbing that he fell off the roof of was the bank that helped swindle him and his brother yep yep so it's again like which is why it's really interesting who he's reached out for as an ally yeah, I know. The end shocked me because I thought he killed him in the cell. Pekka Rowland. I had a feeling he didn't kill him, but I thought he did some. I didn't know he would have, like, set him free. I thought he would have, I don't know, like, still, like, int- like I thought he still would have said more about who he was and what he was going to do to him. Not like, oh, here, go free, and now you owe me one. <laughs> I guess it does make sense because when he freed Pekka Rollins, instead of killing him, he really set him up to owe him a big favor, and it's almost like that would be more helpful in the long run probably than killing someone immediately. So it is it is him like always being one step ahead. And I don't even think it was strategic in that sense. I think it was really like he wants him to suffer so bad that like being tortured and killed in this like horrible prison <laughs> isn't good enough. Well, yeah. <laughs> Especially if he can't be the <laughs> one to torture true. and kill him. So he was like, I either have to kill him fast, which isn't enough time, or let him go so I can go after him properly. <laughs> Yeah, there wasn't enough time to do the job well. Yeah. Oh, man, that's disturbing. <laughs> but everyone's kind of in a interesting... Okay, so... Um, Where are they now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the whole group is... So Nina's alive, so she survived the one dose of Perem, but she's obviously worse for wear, but, she, but it seems like she didn't have to take a second dose, so does that mean she just has to get through the withdrawal all the I way? I think so, yeah. Okay. And I think there's the question still of whether or not she'll be addicted to it, which is scary. So how quickly do you think they went and found... How quickly did the last scene take place after the scene on the dock? When he, when Kaz went to Pekka Rollins? Yeah. Is it like the next scene? Because I, for some reason, I felt like it was a little bit later. I fe- it felt later, too, because it seemed like they were able to at least get their bearings and like get cleaned up and kind of re- reassess the situation. But I'm sure Kaz went pretty quickly to Pekka Rollins because, I mean, the ne- the other big thing is that Inej is kidnapped yeah. by um, Van Eck and he's holding her hostage until Kaz turns over um, the scientist's son, Kwai. Qu- yep. And now Wylan looks like him. <laughs> oh my goodness, I know. I did- oh, so did you see that coming? No, I... Well, I was curious what Nina's, the the request, the request yet for Nina was going to be, 
but I did not expect that. Also, because we didn't know until that moment either that his dad actually was like taunting him and didn't really want him back. Wyland, yeah. That like we were kind of led to believe that he would be good bait for his father. You know what I mean? Right. I thought that Wyland would be really effective as kind of leverage at the end. And instead, I mean, what a horrible story about how his dad is just disinheriting him. And and not even disinheriting him. He's okay with killing him. Yeah. Because he can't read good. Which is also kind of funny because I feel like Wyland, you know, we were calling him like the nerd before. And we thought he was like, he's got all, like, he's like (laughs) so smart. And I'm sure, like, he's getting by fine without being able to read. But like, it's kind of interesting and funny that like, that's what is driving this huge wedge between not even wedge that's like an understatement of the year but (laughs) yeah it just seems like such an extreme reaction for such as i mean and i'm sure like not being able to read isn't a small thing that's a big thing but like and there's no good reason to disinherit your son but it just i i did not see that coming well and to your point it's one thing to say like i don't want you to take over the family business because i don't trust you to be able to manage it if you can't read or something which is still like not great parenting, but whatever. But to like go to like, well, you can't read, so I'm well, cool with kill killing you. you. Yeah. Not even just like, I don't care if you die, but I'm going to be the one to cause your death. I'm so curious what his mom is, if his mom's the same way. Well, I don't know if he has a mom because his dad remarried, remember? And now he has this young bride who's carrying his heir. And that's why Wylan is just completely expendable to him. Wait, so he's remarried? I... I knew that yeah. his wife was pregnant, but I guess I missed that she was a different... Yeah, he has a new okay. a new wife. Okay, gotcha. But just, like, way to overlook every other great quality your son has. Yeah. Ugh. Underestimated. We Even his dad underestimates him. It's so sad. <laughs> yeah. I also researched a little bit about Wyland's uh, reading disability. Okay. Tell me more about it. So I called my mom... <laughs> because she used to be a reading specialist. And um, so I I sent her this email. I'm looking back on it. It was really funny because I was like, so there's this person in this book I'm reading. And for some reason, he was never able to learn how to read, but he had lots of tutors. And he's very, um, he's very social and he can play the flute and he is really good at a lot of other things, but I don't know why he wasn't able to read. So my mom sent me a bunch of articles on dyslexia. (laughs) I was wondering if it was dyslexia. My mom's dyslexic, but... Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, you would know more about this than me then. But she uses it improperly as an excuse for any time she, like unrelated to reading like says anything wrong or does anything funny she's like or you know like whatever she's like well I'm dyslexic and we're like mom that doesn't apply in this particular case <laughs> well apparently uh 15% of Americans according to pbs.org have some form of dyslexia and I read that I always thought that it was characterized by like you switch up letters or you switch up words but mm-hmm. I guess a lot of it has to do with the an, an inability to break down um, phonemes, so like units of sound, so okay. like the K sound in um, kit, cat, skit, that's like a phoneme, and people have okay. a difficult time breaking down those units of sound. So do they know? Is there like a cause for it? Or um, gosh, I really anything? don't know. Um, I didn't look that up, but 3 million cases per year in the U.S. 
That's crazy. I know they used to not like test it for it in schools or, you know, they would just like my mom said, or my, my mom's older sister also has it. And she said that like, she just thought she was dumb because she couldn't figure out how to read. Whereas when my mom went to school, they like identified that she was dyslexic. And that's when my older aunt found out that she was too, because. Yeah. But I mean, before people would treat it like it was, um, a sign of lower intelligent intelligence, which it's absolutely not. In fact, they said most people with dyslexia have um, average to high intelligence. It's interesting because, I mean, I understand if you don't know what dyslexia is or how it works and you're like, you know, so so many people can learn to read. Like, if you don't get why someone can't learn to read. Yeah, then, it's incredibly frustrating. Or, you know, figure out how to help them. Because there's, aren't there like different techniques if you have dyslexia for like overcoming it or? Yeah. And they say most people who have like proper instruction are able to overcome it. Yeah. And apparently, I didn't know this, but um, I was looking up famous people who have struggled with dyslexia and Kira Knightley and Orlando Bloom and Jay Leno all struggled with dyslexia. And I thought this was funny. Um, the, um, the guy who founded Ikea... He had dyslexia, and part of the reason why he called his store IKEA is because he thought acronyms would make it easier for people to remember product names, and it was like related to his um, dyslexia. Huh. That's cool. Yeah. I actually, I have a friend, a Swedish friend, who's like somehow distantly related to the IKEA founder or something. How cool is that? Do you get any free um, furniture that you get to put together? <laughs> The furniture, my dog, okay, so I had a um, old coffee table, it was, it was like more of a side table that I was just using as a coffee table, and I finally upgraded it to something from Ikea. That's <laughs> <laughs> it's an upgrade? <laughs> yep, that's how oh, no. like bad my original table was. And Toby, the first, like within an hour of us putting it together, went over and took a bite out of the corner of it. So now I have a n- nice new Ikea table with a dog imprint of his teeth in the corner of the table. Good job, Toby. <laughs> he never bit the old one. But <laughs> and it's that soft wood. Like Ikea has such soft wood, so he probably got a good chunk out of it. <laughs> <laughs> it was just so funny. Oh, no. We were like, seriously, you couldn't even wait till tomorrow. Like we couldn't enjoy it for one meal or something. <laughs> oh, Toby. <laughs> but... But yeah. Oh man, Jasper became one of my favorite characters, by the way. I like kind of feel bad that he's on the outs with Kaz and that he accidentally was the one who gave away their location. But I'm also like, Jasper, you idiot. Oh yeah, that was really bad. Like, I feel so bad for him that he let the group down because I really don't think he did it on purpose. But I'm also mad because how could how could you be so stupid? Like, it's dumb. Yeah. yeah. It was a really stupid mistake for him to make. But... I really do like, though, how um, Jesper and Wylan are kind of, like, flirting now. Yeah, I do, too. That's I I really like that development from Jesper just, like, giving him such a hard time at the beginning to, like, where they are now. I Like, that's been kind of a fun development. Oh, totally. I, I, I hope his, um, I hope that he can be transformed back into himself instead of this guy, this guy. Uh, Quay kid that he is currently disguised as because they said it might be permanent yeah well okay so we know that Nina is not like without drugs is not a particularly good tailor but I wonder like can good tailors even do that or is it like actually I don't think good tailors can I think it's like the effects of the drug 
Because Nikolai was hidden as Stormun. Right, Stormun. But I think those were just subtle changes. Like she said... I was going to say, but that wasn't as dramatic as like a completely different... Right, and he's a prince, so he could probably hire the best tailor, I'm thinking. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be... You're right. It'll be interesting to see what he... Maybe he can be partially put back. You know, like, it'll be interesting to see if he looks exactly like this <laughs> random doctor's kid forever. Or, <laughs> Although, it, it'll it probably be useful in the next heist if people yeah. are trying to come and find to he have... He won't match yeah. the wanted posters. <laughs> but I think it's sad that Kaz didn't tell Jesper he was doing that because he wanted to punish him for um, giving away, you know, their movements to the rival gang. I know. Jesper has really grown on me, and I, like, felt really bad for him. Yeah, me too. But, I mean, you can understand why Kaz reacted that way, because when they were um, sabotaged by that rival gang, that's when Inej almost was killed. So it wasn't so much like, you blew our cover. It w- I mean, that's part of it, but I think a bigger part was that he really endangered Inez. Yeah, but then I feel like they should have talked about this on before they got back from this whole thing. Like, I don't know. Like... It just got revealed that he knew that he was... And it was an accident. Like, it wasn't like he was trying to do anything. I don't know. I kind of feel like it was, like, a little bit of a delayed punishment that felt unfair. I bet he did it so he would have... Because I think if he had told Jesper that he was mad at him for doing that, it would have thrown him a lot, and he needed him confident for the mission. Yeah. Ugh. Man. But the whole, like, Kaz kind of having that too brief conversation with Inej about how he he wanted her to stay for him and he kind of admitted that he wanted her. That was so sad. I know. But I'm also really excited for her newfound purpose and like I kind of like I hope that they can find a way to be together too but I hope she doesn't give up on her dream about stopping all those labors. I don't think she will because I mean a big part of it was she stood up to him and was basically confronted him about his phobia. And she was just like, I'm, I've come through too much to settle for too little, for so little. And, you know, I love when she was like, I'll have you without armor. I won't have you at all. Yeah. Because she deserves more, you know. She deserves someone who can love her completely. Yeah. <laughs> I just got really sappy. <laughs> and Kaz has so many other boundaries up too. Like, he just, he's so closed off and so focused on his revenge. Like, I think this is the first time when he's been able to put that aside when she's been in danger. Yes. Yeah. And and I mean, how can you become close to someone if they're constantly keeping secrets from you? Yeah. Hope it works out, though. We're rooting for you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So we also, speaking of couples, I'm starting to think of these people as couples. That, you know, there's like the Kaz and Inej, there's the Jesper and Wyland, and the Nina Messias yeah. has really come a long way too. They have. I Did you think that Matthias was betraying her, or did you know that he was probably helping her in that scene where she got locked in the cell? I figured he was probably helping her. I didn't see yeah. through it. Or I, I saw through it. Yeah, I agree. I did too. But I can just imagine how she felt in that moment, not knowing. Not knowing. And especially yeah. since, like, he has such a history with Brahm, when she, you know, when she meets the leader of the dress schools and he um, leads her up to that cell and then imprisons her. It, it, 
you had to remember that Matthias viewed him, his captain, as a father figure after his family yeah. died. And he, they had such a history. So for him to betray him like that in favor of Nina was like a huge step. Yeah. And it was interesting for him to see through that too. Like he, cause he was such a morally driven mm-hmm. character and he really, I mean, he was raised on maybe some poor beliefs, but he really believed what he was raised on. Right. Yeah. And then to find out that like, they weren't even, it was taking it in like a different direction, especially after now knowing Nina and Jesper and, you know, kind of seeing that they, that Grisha were really so human. Um, yeah, I can't imagine him trying to reconcile that with everything else. Well, but. yeah, because he admitted he was like, not being able to see these people as human makes me the monster. You know, if I can't yeah. change my beliefs, then I'm the one who's in the wrong. And he was just like, I can't live with, I can't live with this anymore. Oh, wait, I had a question for you, actually. Okay, so you know when um, Jesper and Wylan were trying to stop the break the gate? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden there was a squalor on Perim that, like, came through the walls and, like, attacked those guards and almost attacked them, too? Yes. Where did she come from? Mm. Or where did the two of them come from? I was kind of confused. Weren't they just defenses in the um, ice court? So the Grisha, but the Grisha first killed the guards. So, like, how did they, how are these two Grisha, like, roaming through the hallways? Was this when they were using the diamonds to break through the wall? No, this was even before that, when they, like, just came down the stairs. Oh, gosh. After, after the Code Black or whatever. Oh, the off. Black Protocol? Yeah, Black Protocol. I thought maybe um, they were part of the Ice Court defense. Okay, I just got confused because all of a sudden they were like Grisha coming through the walls and I didn't know where they came from and then they attacked the guards so I was like they couldn't have, I thought they couldn't have been part of the defense. Oh, did they let them out of their cages then? Maybe they yeah, were but Grisha who let them out. Maybe Cuz they shouldn't have been over in that like I just I just didn't know where they came from, but it was kind of a cool scene cuz they were like literally removing the blood from oh, yeah. the guards' bodies. Ugh. And you kind of saw Jesper starting to use his Grisha power. What a crazy revelation that he's a fabricator. Yeah. Also, I thought it was funny. Well, so Kaz obviously had the original set of tools he knew they would find in his mouth, and then he was relying on Jesper to get the, you know, form a tool from the iron on the prison gate or whatever. But uh, when we found out that he, like, had also swallowed a set of tools... And kept throwing And so he wouldn't digest them. He had to get... Yeah. (laughs) My goodness. Yeah. And, like, kept throwing them up so he wouldn't digest them. That's insane. I mean, that reminded me so much of David Blaine when he does his act where he, like, swallows a frog and then throws it up in your hand. Did you ever see that? I have not seen that. I don't know that I want to see that. Yeah. he, He, like, was able to learn how to swallow frogs and goldfish and keep them alive in his stomach so he could throw them up, like, upon command. He's a amazing human being <laughs> that's, that's what that crazy. reminded me of i also liked how kaz let the guards find the lockpick in his mouth when they were um disguised as prisoners mm-hmm. i loved that when he was like you let them catch one thing and let them think that they've won something over you and they're so busy congratulating themselves that they over they don't see the big things you're trying to hide 
I um I did a lot of research on sleight of hand and mm. the like kind of connection between magicians and thieves because of some of the statements that Kaz made at different points, including that one. Oh, let's but see. um, uh, so I I have like just an article from the Daily Mail, which is an interview with some mag- professional magician talking about how he would grab someone's watch without them seeing it. And, like, the whole interviewer, like, the interviewer knew that's what he was trying to do. So he, she was like, um, you know, I was paying attention, so I didn't think it was going to happen. <laughs> um, and he kind of he talked through some different things. So I guess there was, in 2001, George W. Bush, like, met a crowd of people somewhere. I think it was in Albania or something. And, like, you know, a bunch of people were reaching out and, like, trying to shake his hand and touch him and all this stuff. And at some point, his watch went missing oh no but like i guess there was like an official statement from the white house saying he put it in his pocket but like that's what sparked this this conversation so i'm one of the the main things that they say you know illusions and magical feats but also something like a street perform or a street thief would use is misdirection which you touched on a little bit and they said even saying things like like, can you remember which card you chose or, or do you do you still have that in your mind? You tend to look to the right when you're trying to remember something or mm. when you're thinking about something. So even that split second where they ask you that question and you try to remember your card, even if you just saw it, like, could be enough to, like, move your eyes temporarily and, like, have you distracted. distracted. But they said to take a watch, you actually need to – you push – the watch against the person's hand first we're telling that people way, how to steal watches <laughs> well yeah i was like googling how to how to pit pocket and and i also was looking at how to um count cards so <laughs> um but so part like if you push the watch against someone's hand it'll leave an imprint and they'll feel like the watch is still there even afterwards and it kind of reminded oh, me of what they were saying about the biscuit yep. trick in someone's pocket um but uh, I don't know. I just thought some of that stuff was easy. And then he eventually did get someone to – he did steal a watch from someone on set when he was uh, – they were trying to get him set up for a photograph or something. And he, like, was basically acting dumb. And they were, like, trying to show him how to put his hands and stuff. And that was his opportunity to grab a watch. But he said to be careful of things like um, if someone comes up to you with a jacket over their arm, they might be trying to distract you. And, and what we were saying earlier about uh, – or what the book was saying earlier about – by trying to protect your wallet, you may be revealing it. <laughs> yeah, you're telling everyone where it is when you keep your mo- your hand just goes distractedly to ensure that it's still there and your hand goes right to it. And everyone can see where you're keeping it. And then I read an article about how pickpocketing is dying in the United States. <laughs> okay, that's good so, to know. <laughs> and it was like kind of a sad article. Like it made me like want to go out and like revive pickpocketing or no. something. <laughs> but um so I guess, like, it used to be kind of, like, a really big deal. It was kind of, like, the nonviolent crime. It was, um, like, if you were a good pit pocket, you'd go to New York subways. Like, that was, like, the place to be, like, the best pit pocketer <laughs> around. Um, but now they say the, most of the people they capture are older, middle-aged men. And oh. they think that it's part of, like, the millennial problem or lack of focus and stuff. We can't develop the proper skills and stealth to be effective pitpocketers, so we're more likely to, like, go out and buy a weapon and, you know, hold someone at knife point or something like that oh to goodness. steal their wallet. But, um, I don't know, it's just kind of interesting to think about all the history there and even the way it's been kind of romanticized in various books throughout 
history. So like it, it is kind of thought of as, um, as far as thieves go, kind of like the good fellow thief. It's like uh, you have to be smart and use wit and whatnot. So you kind of have to earn your mm-hmm. your prize differently than just like a violent act or something like that. So yeah, and we tend to kind of like idolize like the criminal mastermind a little bit, especially in like Hollywood or even in books like this. Yeah, and since we both got Kaz as the character we'd most likely be, I thought I should up my criminal mastermind game. Um, so I'm going to bring back <laughs> pitpocketing to the United I feel States. Like, oh, That's- <laughs> <laughs> Single-handedly. I don't like that idea, and I don't agree with me being Kaz because I tend to be on the other side of that game. I actually lived, I lived in Italy for two years, and... They have a big problem with pickpocketing then. And I was robbed once when I was on the bus. And it was so infuriating because I was totally super aware of how prevalent it is there. And I was like hyper aware all the time of where my wallet was. And a pickpocketer got my wallet out of my purse that was in a zippered pocket of my purse when I was on a crowded bus. And I remember because someone like pushed me from behind and I didn't think anything of it. And then I got off my, I got off the bus and it was gone. It was just, it happened so fast. Yeah. And I also was reading about different like pickpocketing schemes with like multiple people involved. So like one person's distracting you or one, you know, like even someone shouting something like back in the day, they'd someone be like, beware of pickpocketers. And then people would tend to double check their their watch, their wallet, their whatever it was. And then different ways, like if it's in your front pocket, you can grab like the silk of the pocket and like flip it inside out without someone noticing versus if it's in the back pocket, then you want to like, yeah, so there's just, there's so much, there's so much involved, but it is kind of an interesting, I mean, I feel like Kaz is the same way, right? Like part of why, even though he's a thief and a criminal, we kind of like him, I think is because he's so smart and so like good at what he does. Without like being, I mean, he can get brutal as we've seen. He's very brutal, but but that's not his go-to. Yeah, and there's something that I mean, I I don't want to say you admire it, but there's something that is very fascinating about someone who is so good at tricking you. Yeah, it's clever. Yeah, I was actually I researched thievery too a little bit. (laughs) Um, I was just looking up like the greatest heists of all time because there's, I mean, there's such a great. They, they, the fact that they are able to break into the ice court and achieve their goal is just amazing, especially given all of the obstacles they come up against. So I wanted to read about like a great heist of our time. So I researched um, the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum heist, which you've, prob- you've probably heard about it. It was in um, 1990 and it happened in Boston. And it's the single largest property theft in the world. And wow. the it's an ongoing investigation. The thieves were never caught. So it was on um, St. Patrick's Day in Boston at, like, very early in the morning. There were these two uh, thieves who were disguised as police officers. And they pushed the museum buzzer and said that they were responding to a disturbance. And the guard on duty let them in because they were just, like, police officers. And the one guy said... You look familiar to me. I think I have a warrant out for your arrest. You need to stand against the wall and put your hands behind your back. And the guard did it, and he allowed himself to be handcuffed. And then they um, took him down to the basement and tied him up in the basement. And um, they went to the museum, and they stole 13 works of art 
that oh were worth goodness. $500 million. Oh my goodness. You should have seen my face while you were telling this story. It was just like jaw dropping. <laughs> they took like some Degas drawings. They took a Monet. They took Rembrandt's, um, a Vermeer. They took really valuable artwork. And the thing that's crazy is their um, the museum was motion detected. So there's a recording of all of their movements around the museum. So you can see every room they went to. And then um, I guess before leaving, they went back to the guard and said, you'll be hearing from us within a year. But they were never heard from again. And like to this day, there is a reward out for anyone who can provide information leading to the um, recovery of all 13 paintings. It's, um, I'm trying to think how much. Oh, there's a $10 million reward. Oh, wow. I know. And it's, they still have empty frames, I guess, in the museum to commemorate where these paintings were, were stolen. I love, like... Crazy. I don't know. Like, like, I mean, I watch a lot of, like, fictional things. Like, you know, like, The Italian Job's, like, one of my favorite movies. Yeah. And, like, Suits... Or, not Suits. Um, White Collar's, like, one of my favorite shows. But, um, I don't know. It's just... It, it is kind of interesting. And there is something, like, that you... Like, I don't like violent, you know... Movies murder or, mysteries yeah. as much as I like love someone who's so clever and like get you to basically like in this case open the door for you and like give you a high five on the way out as you like steal all their stuff like there's something about that that's like it's just really so, yeah yeah Ugh. that's like partly why it's so sad at the end when Kaz gets taken in by Van Eck because he's such a good mastermind and then um, Vanette kind of pulls one over him where he tells him that the council didn't approve his mission and he kind of feels like he was a child again when he and Jordy were taken in. Yeah. Yeah, it's surprising that he didn't see through that. But I think it's kind of interesting that Vanek, these criminals who got through this like legendarily difficult, protected place that that he's trying to one put a one over on them now like to me that's interesting too like what vanek like should be worried <laughs> oh i know i well, at the end he like isn't he or pekka rollins is like or one of them is like oh you know he should be concerned because this kid yeah. is really good he stills his watch he's yeah pekka rollins and like half of the other things he was wearing didn't he <laughs> it was like a yeah. like everything yeah, yeah. In there. did you research anything else I did a little bit about casinos and counting cards because it's always kind of confused me, like, why you're not allowed to do it because it feels like, I mean, like, I get that it's an unfair advantage, but it doesn't feel like... I know nothing about it. So counting cards is basically, like, keeping track of the different cards that have already appeared and Mm -hmm. being able to, like, figure out probabilities of things better than... Of when they'll appear again. Yeah. So people who do it effectively will, like, change their bid based on a lot of information about what's already happened and what could happen and what their hand looks like right then. And I don't know a ton about it either. Um, I didn't quite do as much research as I wanted to, but I just, I always get confused because it's still, it's not like, obviously if you were using a machine or, you know, like tracking it somehow, but if someone's just really smart and good at numbers and can keep track of all that stuff, like I just feel like, sorry that they're really good at this game. (laughs) Like, like, (laughs) but casinos, a lot of places will try to, um, kick you out and put you, like, on a list if you're caught for card yeah, counting. I mean. um, and I think I was reading somewhere, I forget where it was now, it wasn't Las Vegas, obviously, but some other 
like place in the U.S. It's illegal to actually kick someone out for counting cards. Yeah. Oh, I wonder what they do instead. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that the casino will try to prevent people from counting. So they'll like um, use automatic shuffling machines, mm-hmm. which makes counting useless. Um, they'll make the rules worse. So they'll change kind of the, the rules so that it doesn't really help you as much somehow. Um, they'll set the cut card earlier. I don't even know enough about blackjack. So there's like a few different things though that they can do. I even heard that sometimes they'll try to like distract you so you can't like keep track of it in your head or something mm, like that. Like they'll send someone over to talk to you. Yeah. But part, but that's another one of those things where it's like, you, I almost have so much respect for somebody who's like clever enough or good enough with numbers to do that. Like I wouldn't want to play them in blackjack, but it sort of feels like like, that's how the game works. Like, like, sorry <laughs> that I figured out the game. <laughs> you're just totally fine with cheating if you're good enough to not get caught. But I don't get how it's cheating. It's like I, like, because blackjack is partially a game of luck, right? But if you keep, tra- like, if you're using just your brain and paying attention to the details, like, other people are trying to look at cues, right, to, like... Because it's supposed to be a game of chance. But... <laughs> I mean, like... You can't have a one-up over the house, you know? I think you should be able to. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't I mean, know. it's cheating, essentially. But, like, so, like, I feel like there's got to be a fine line between, like, what's okay information to use in the game and what's not okay information to use in the game. And it seems like it's okay as long as the house is winning and it's not okay if... But then you'll you- always win. <laughs> I mean, it's still a probability game. You just increase your odds, right? I don't know. I don't know enough about playing cards or... (laughs) I play Go Fish. Uh, I don't even play games because I take them too seriously. My friends have stopped playing. Do you cheat, though? I don't cheat. (laughs) I believe you. (laughs) But I'll do everything but cheat. (laughs) I'm going to look into this card counting thing more. Figure out. Figure out how to... I'm going to start pit-pocketing and counting cards, and I'm going to be the next cast. You're going to be on a list in Vegas is what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> no one in Vegas passes this along this podcast. Um, okay. What else do we want to talk about? I was curious to know... Because we finished this book, and we usually talk about, like, what... If the book was going to be made into a movie, what scene we'd like recreated... And we can do it for the second book, too. But there were just so many great scenes in this book. And I was curious to know, like, which ones stuck out the most to you and which ones you want to see on the the big screen. I'm kind of interested to see different parts of the ice castle itself and even some of the costumes. So maybe, like, something that when they're, like, in the party Mm -hmm. or something and, like, kind of see – because even how they were describing that, like, staircase sounded really cool – um, or when Inej and um, Nina are in disguise. Yeah. I also actually think the first scene in the book would be kind of a cool scene to watch. Like, I feel like it just set the stage really well. And just all the ways, like, if they do that well with, like, Kaz kind of revealing how far ahead of everyone else oh. he is with the information. I think that could be a really cool scene. The parlay scene. at the beginning. Yes. That would be cool, too. I really liked the scene um, at the end whenever they... Whenever Kaz throws them off into the ice moat, and he basically makes all of them jump into the ice moat, and they're going down that gorge, and they're really, like, Mm -hmm. struggling against the water. I love that scene. And I also love the scene when Nina takes the Perem, the uh, Jerda, and she 
it just becomes how she uh, experiences yeah. it. Yeah, that was really cool. And she's just walking through bullets, and they're and she's just healing herself instantly, even though all these soldiers are firing at her. I thought that was really striking. And if you could like give that impression of just like how much sense the world makes all of a sudden once you take like that would mm-hmm. like ha- experiencing it from her point of view would have been really cool. I'm trying to think if there's any good like flashback scenes I'd want to see, but a lot of their uh, pasts are just kind of depressing. It's very so. sad. Yeah. Yeah. It could be kind of cool to see some of Inej's acrobatting, too. Like, yeah. um, I'm trying to think of the best part. Like, maybe when they're drilling through the the, the glass or something. But Or when she climbs the incinerator. That part was so scary. Oh, yeah. That was so scary. Although, what would you see? It was dark, wasn't it? <laughs> I'm sure Hollywood can make it spectacular. I don't know. There's a lot of cool scenes. And actually, you know how usually I'm like complaining I want more backstory in everyone? And I still want more, but I actually feel like it was a really nice balance of, you know, keeping the plot going and what was happening right then and, and, and whatnot, but also kind of painting all six of the characters a little bit. I mean, I guess like Wylan especially, I want more mm-hmm. about how he grew up. And Jesper. But yeah. Yeah, Jasper too. But I liked. I agree that we. I liked that um, we didn't have to wait for a very long time before we found out why Kaz was the way he was and what happened to Inej and even what happened with Nina and Matthias. Um, why she accused him of being a slaver and her reasons for doing that. Um, I like that there's not a huge wait before we get the payoff because otherwise it could be really frustrating. But as it is, I think she did a good job and it feels really satisfying. Yeah, and there was enough of a wait, like, you know, you had time to wonder, but then, to your point, even even things like Kaz's leg, we didn't have to hear that story already, right. but, like, I like that we, we know. Yeah, the fact that the author kind of gave us those pieces early enough, um, it, it, it made it a very enjoyable book to read and not frustrating at all. Do you think we'll see some new main characters in the next book, or do you think it'll focus on these same six? Um, oh, that's a really good question, because right now, Kaz has to rescue Inez, Nina has to get through the addiction, um, I, I mean, we're probably, we're definitely going to see some new characters, but I think the core is still going to be these six. Yeah, I'm curious if they'll need to replace Inez, if, like, what they're going to do without her. Well, I'm sure we'll still get a few chapters, like, from her perspective, right? Because she's not going to be sitting around waiting to be rescued. Oh, yeah. No, I agree. I agree with that for sure. But I also feel like in order to get to her, or I don't know, we'll see what happens. (laughs) Yeah, she's not a she's not a a maiden in distress or whatever they're called. Do you want to talk about the next book, Crooked Kingdom? Yep. Um, So the second book is called Crooked Kingdom. And it's the last book because it's a duology. And I will read the inside cover. Kaz Brecker and his crew have just pulled off a heist, so daring, even they didn't think they'd survive. But instead of divvying up a fat reward, they're right back to fighting for their lives. Double-crossed and badly weakened, the crew is low on resources, allies, and hope. As powerful forces from around the world descend on Catterdom to root out the secrets of the dangerous drug known as Droda Perim, old rivals and new enemies emerge to challenge Kaz's cunning and test the team's fragile loyalties. A war will be waged on the city's dark and twisting streets. A battle for revenge and redemption that will decide the fate of the Grisha world. Oh boy. There's a lot at stake there. And we said we would read up to part four this time. Part four, The Unexpected Visitor. So read the first three parts. I really, um, 
I'm enjoying this a lot. I really like, I like how they have that saying, no mourners, no funerals. Yeah. Before they, that they say anytime they're about to go on a mission. It's basically like, good luck, but I don't know. It kind of is like, don't, don't have too high expectations. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They're, they're, the way they speak is pretty interesting. Like, when they say the deal is the deal and I always I love like the honor among thieves piece of it too you know like there is there are still some rules and I mean we saw that even in that first um the parlay uh, the parlay yeah where you know if you break a certain rule then then the rules change you know like if you (laughs) (laughs) but until that point (laughs) there are kind of some guidelines at least and consequences when you break yep yep Oh, man. Okay. Well, let's keep reading. Okay. And see what happens. I'm excited. I'm excited to see new characters. I also wonder... Okay, because I also thought Nina and Matthias were going to um, be at a point where they were going to try to kill the Doctor or reveal... Like, basically break their loyalty to the rest of the crew. But because the Doctor was already dead, they didn't have to do that. So I'm kind of curious if that's ever revealed at some point or at what point kind of their... That they were going to go against him. Yeah. Against Kaz. If there's conflict going forward because of that different... I hope for their sakes he never finds out. You know. I'm worried about what happens if this drug gets out. Because everyone's... Fennec is now trying to use it and he's going to, you know, profit off of it and... Well, and we saw... I mean, so some shoe people had it and some... Obviously... So it sounds like pretty much everyone knows about it at this point. And yeah, the Fjordians were going to use it. And if you escape out of the ice castle in a tank, I'm sure that, like, <laughs> you know, you didn't exactly, like, seal it in secret or anything. <laughs> People are going to be coming after them, probably. Yeah. So they're going to have that Ugh. to contend with as well. Oh, gosh, Kaz, we're worried for you. Yeah, maybe this new, maybe the, um, what's the doctor's son's name again? Quay. Yeah, maybe he'll be part of their team now and a new character that we can learn more about. Because it's interesting to hear he was a Grisha, or he is a Grisha. Right, and the whole Kuwe, yes. The whole reason that his father made the drug was to try and develop something that would hide his son's power. Yeah, it'll be interesting too to see if we see more um, Ravkin characters from before kind of make an appearance at some point. Oh, like Zoya? yeah. Well, I thought it was cool that Inej's knives, one of them was named Sancta Lina. Yeah, that was cool. That, yeah. that was cool. Mm-hmm. And it was cool to see how, like, she was like, oh, yeah, Sancta Lina, the martyr who died. Who died before she turned 30 or, so, or 20 yeah. or something. Like, it was, yeah. And it was like, oh, yeah, they did spread that lie. And, and you, I mean, why wouldn't you fall for it? You have no idea that she's still alive living in secret. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Although the saint was dead. That's true. <laughs> That's I'm true. just, I'm going to stand by that. Uh, yeah, you won that bet. <laughs> <laughs> we both won that bet. Uh, well, do you have a joke for me this week? I do. Um, okay. So, wait, I should pull it up so I don't accidentally give away the punchline. But, um, <laughs> so last night was when tickets for the new Star Wars Episode Eight came out. So okay. I've been kind of like in a Star Wars uh, frame of mind recently because of that. So my joke is Star Wars related. What do Jedis use to open PDFs? Oh, gosh. It's a computer joke and a Star Wars joke. I'll never get this. I'm a nerd. Adobe One Kenobi. (laughs) 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 Sorry, I should have waited and let you guess something. (laughs) That's that's hilarious. That made me laugh because I... um, 
my boss thinks I'm like a computer genius because I know how to like open PDFs and like make copy and paste things. <laughs> and really, I like know nothing about computers, but he thinks I'm like the girl with the dragon tattoo because I can like open PDFs and do this <laughs> with Adobe. <laughs> That's how I earn my keep. I remember my first internship, my boss, like I made a power point deck or whatever and then he asked me to like change the font color on one of the slides and he was like if you could just get this to me by tomorrow morning that would be great I was like I can literally change that while we're talking <laughs> oh that's funny <laughs> and he probably thought you were a genius he was like wow. yeah I never She's had really to good. do anything again but yeah all right oh, any other God. notes for today no nope, I'm that's it for me no mourners <laughs> no funerals <laughs> Bye, bookworms. <laughs> Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.